Okay, folks, I would invite you to pick up a Bible and to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And those verses we read earlier on. Now, any self-respecting business in the 21st century has what is called a mission statement, doesn't it? We have mission statements, a sort of short and snappy phrase that will tell the consumer, it will tell the customer everything they need to know about that organisation. And that approach has um, is really sort of been adopted by many churches in recent times too, hasn't it? You know, increasingly you'll be you'll be walking around the town, you will uh, walk past a church sign, and on the church sign you will have the name of the church, and then beneath that you will have this short and, and snappy phrase. You know, it's the usual thing, sort of uh, Grace and Hope Church, and beneath it it'll say bringing the good news to the heart of the community, or something like that. Well, London City Presbyterian Church does not have, as far as I know, a a mission statement. Perhaps uh, we should. But if you did come to me this morning and you you speak to me and want to know uh, what it is that we as a church are all about, what we're trying to do here as a congregation, what as a church we, we value, what sort of things we prioritize, then I guess what I would do is I would send you here. I would send you to Acts chapter 2 from verse 42 to verse 47. And hopefully what we'll see as we kind of try and dig into these verses a wee bit more is what our mission statement as a church should be, or at least, I think, what our mission statement as a congregation should be founded upon. We're going to approach this section in the following way. We're going to think together this morning about the habits of this church that we read of here. The habits. Then we'll think about the harmony that is demonstrated here. The harmony of the church. And then lastly, we will consider the heart of the church. So the habits, the harmony... And the heart of the church. So let's look, let's think about the first of those, okay, the habits of the church. And to be honest, uh, straight, straight away, I, I hope that I don't have to say all that much about the background to what we've seen in the Big Vax over the past number of weeks. You know, don't you, what, what's happened? You know that the Holy Spirit has arrived, the Holy Spirit has come upon this church with fire and the wind that we looked at. You know that we saw that the languages, the new tongues of the church, and then we saw, didn't we, Peter get to his feet and explain all that to the crowd, and then we saw 3,000 people, 3,000 people being saved as a result. And what comes out of that, what comes out of Pentecost is a congregation, isn't it? And so what this section is about really is what that, is what congregational life looked like in in this first New Testament church. What congregational life looked like. And in the the first verse that we've got here, okay, so it's verse 42. 
If you look at it closely, what you saw, I'm sure, is that we're told there of four vital functions, I guess. You know, four essential elements of that congregational life. So, what we'll do in this first heading, don't panic, is we are just going to skim over these four things. We're not going to dig into them too deeply, but we are just going to sort of run through these four essential elements to the church. And see, as we do that, as we think about and consider what was important to this New Testament church, how about this? Ask yourself, as we run through these things, are these four things important to you? And maybe more than that, are are these four essential elements important to your church? Okay. So what's the first one? What's the first of the four? Do you see it? Verse 42. We're told that the church was devoted to the apostles' teaching. It was devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, we know we know that there were 12 of these guys, don't we? We know that there was 12 apostles. But we're told here that the quite important thing, that these guys were the designated teachers of this congregation. Right? We know the apostles were the teachers. But okay, we need to know what they were teaching. Now, remember what we saw. Remember the qualifications to become an apostle. Remember those? They had, these guys had to have been with Jesus from his baptism. And they had to have witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So guess what these guys were teaching? These guys were teaching Jesus. Okay? These guys were teaching the, the, the death of Jesus Christ. These guys were teaching the, the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. These guys were teaching what they'd seen, the resurrection of Christ. They were teaching his ascension. These guys taught others what Jesus himself had taught them. And that's fine, but look at the verb that is attached to this, to the apostles' teaching. Do you see it? What was this congregation? This congregation was devoted to that teaching. Devoted to it. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like if you or or anyone is devoted to teaching? What does it mean? Well, in the original, is, 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 is the idea of giving sort of constant attention to something. Okay, so it's that this early church was there. It was present every time that the apostles spoke and talked. It was that this congregation here was thirsting after more of this teaching. You know, they were longing for more and more of it. And it's not just that they sort of attended and then sat under the teaching and and thought about what they disagreed with, that they heard. It was more than that. They were devoted to it. They submitted to this spirit-filled, Christ-centered word. You see, what we've got here... I would ask you to really ponder this. What we've got here in Acts chapter 2 is a thinking church. A thinking congregation. Now, what we've done, um, I think, in modern day evangelicalism 
is that we have created a sort of big divide. You know, see, if you're in an evangelical church, you're really only in one of two camps, according to many people. You can either be in a spirit-focused church, or you're in the other camp. You are in a teaching-focused camp. It's either one or the other. But what we've got here, what we see in Acts chapter 2, is that is completely and utterly a, a false dichotomy. Because what we've got in this New Testament church was both of those things, don't we? We see here a, a, a congregation that was absolutely spirit-filled. But we see also that these people here, they were being transformed by the renewing of their mind. This was a church devoted to the apostles' teaching. Okay, second element is that, do you see it? Verse 42, you see the second one? They were devoted to fellowship. Now, I'm I'm hardly going to say anything on this because we'll come back to it in a minute. I will just say, though, that the the idea of fellowship here, it comes from a, a, a famous Greek word, the word koinonia. So it's that idea of sharing in community, if you like. or It's the idea that a, a congregation is and is meant to be a community. And it's the idea that this community we're reading of was a congregation defined by that apostolic teaching. But grab this one, if you will, okay? Because you see that word we've just looked at, the word devoted to. That is not just affixed to the apostles' teaching. In some ways it would be easier for us if it was, but it's not. See the word devoted to, it's for each one of those four things that we are looking at. So what does that mean here on this one? I'll tell you, and something that should send shockwaves through our sort of pick-and-mix approach to church in London. What we see here is that these people, they were loyal. They were committed to. They were devoted to their congregation. Third one, they were devoted to the breaking of bread as well. Do you see that? Breaking of bread. Okay, I don't know how you begin your meals at home, but we kind of got a bit of a routine going in our house. What will happen is we'll say grace, and then that'll soon surely be followed by one of my kids either knocking over juice all over the table or knocking their food to the floor, that sort of chaos. Well, in Jewish circles around this time here, first century, meals used to begin in the same way. Not like that, but they used to begin with the dividing of the big loaf of bread that they would be eating, the sort of division of this. So a lot of commentators you've got, when they read this, this idea of being devoted to to breaking of bread, they've got that in view. That, That this church, this congregation that we're reading of, was devoted to sharing meals with each other. Now, there's definitely an element of truth in that but we've really got to get to the context don't we surely because remember what we've seen we've seen acts is what it is a follow-on book 
to the to Luke's gospel. And there what's happened, what's happened in Luke's gospel, we've seen and read Luke tell this man he's writing for Theophilus all about the Lord's Supper, hasn't he? We've seen Luke tell Theophilus all about the, the communion meal. And so surely, this is Acts, surely that's what we've got here. It's not just a congregation devoted to, to sharing nice and happy meals with each other. It's a congregation devoted to the Lord's Supper. So what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that right there, right at the forefront of this New Testament church, was the death of Jesus Christ. These people, this congregation, they remembered they commemorated the sacrifice that was made for them. So I ask you this. As a church, are we similarly inclined? And are you a Christian that's thinking is shaped by? Are you a Christian that's thinking is dominated by the fact that Christ has died he's died for you. So we've got teaching, don't we? And we've got fellowship, and we've got the breaking of bread. So the, the, the fourth one, and at the risk I know of sounding like some sort of Scottish ecclesiastical parrot, we come to the fact that they were devoted to prayer. And I know that I have preached on uh, prayer both uh, recently and regularly. So I'm not going to labor this other than to point out one thing here. And that is that this is not this is not just that the congregation was devoted to prayer. You see, in the original language it's quite unusual what's said here. In the original language you've got the definite article attached to prayer. And then you've got the idea of prayer being a very sort of plural idea. So it's not so much that this congregation, these people were devoted to praying at home in a sort of cupboard somewhere personally. That's not really what it is. What we've got here is a more formal idea. So what we see is that this New Testament church here was devoted to meeting collectively and corporately. So friends, do I I ask you, do do you see the the picture that is building up before us here? Do you see the sorts of things that our mission statement as a church should be based on? In fact, can I ask you as a congregation, what do you think? Are we devoted to the teaching in our church? Are, Are we devoted to it in prayer? And in submission? Are we devoted to the fellowship in our church? In love? Maybe? In commitment? Are we devoted to the breaking of bread in our church? In our attendance? And in our affections? And are we devoted to the prayer life of our church? In our dedication to it? In our openness? Tell you this. If we are, know this. That the 
awe of the Holy Spirit that we read of here in verse 43, this reverent fear of God that accompanied all of these things in the early church, that awe will come to increasingly characterize life. It will come to increasingly characterize the worship of London City Presbyterian Church. So we see the essential habits, the habits of this congregation. Let's consider the harmony of the church. And here, I think we're going back to that idea, that Greek word I said, the word koinonia. So we're going back to this idea of the fellowship of our congregation. And we're going to think about that because we read in verse 44, and I love, love this verse. Verse 44, do you see it? All the believers were together and they had everything in common. So what does that mean? What does it mean that they had everything in common? Does it mean that they all had the same jumper? Is that what you think? Had everything in common? Did they all have the same sort of weird accent? Is that what it is? Well, no, it's not that. It's, it's, it's the idea that they associated with each other in this congregation. Associated with. They shared with each other in this congregation. Some translations have got this idea that they were of one accord, these people here. So, overall, you could say it's, it's unity, isn't it? It's that there were no cliques in this New Testament church. It's the, the longer-serving members. You know, these 120, they didn't look down upon these sort of newer 3,000 members. It's that the younger people of the church, They didn't separate themselves from the older people in the church. And vice versa. There were no cliques. There were no divisions. What does it say? All the believers, all of them, were together. And that's sort of beautiful, and it is beautiful, isn't it? A beautiful um, idea of togetherness. It's kind of expanded and enlarged upon in a couple of ways here. Do you see that? (laughs) Because we're told that these believers met each other's financial needs. Okay, so that's quite a thought for us to pause at for a moment, isn't it, friends? A congregation sharing each other's financial needs. But if we're going to think about it, we've got to get it right, don't we? Because we're not talking here about some sort of communist ideal. This was not a a communist sort of commune. It's not that the believers all sort of turned up to the temple daily all wearing sort of Che Guevara t-shirts and, I don't know, a tie-dye bandana or something like that. It's, it's, It's not that. It's not that everything they had was kind of necessarily sold into a common pot. Because, you see, it's the imperfect tense. Follow me on this, okay? It's the imperfect tense that's used of this. So, yes, this is a congregation that is selling and giving, but it's a congregation that does that voluntarily. But it's the imperfect. So it's a a congregation that does that when there was need. 
But still despite that, surely for us there's a challenge in this, isn't there? I mean, surely this is, this is, this is a difficult thing. This is a, a challenging thing. Because we're reading about a group of people, a group of people in a, in a church that are characterized, yes, by the love that they have for each other, but they're characterized by more than that. They're characterized by a, by a sense of generosity. They could see that the preciousness of what they shared in Jesus Christ it far outweighed any value of any material possession. So they met each other's financial needs, but there is another thing. Because they met in each other's homes. Now I think there is a definitely a contrast that is, is built up in the verses here. Because we are told that the the church got together in the temple daily. So there's that idea that this was a group of people that met together for formal worship. But they also clearly met more informally too, didn't they, in each other's homes. And uh, again, I was reading a, a commentary on this and, and the guy who was writing, he said, it's the idea of meeting as a congregation house by house, by house, by house, through the church. And I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong about this later, but I think that historically this is something that London City Presbyterian Church has almost prided itself on, perhaps. It's certainly something that struck me when I came down to, to preach here, first of all, you know, as a candidate for ministry. It struck me that the congregation did not just meet for formal times of worship. There were these lunches and invites to people's homes. There were hospitality rotas and, and so on. But I would say to you this morning that as a congregation, we must not kid ourselves, you know. Not only do we have to try and maintain that level of hospitality, especially in a city like London, but we have to greatly (laughs) increase this. We should be trying to share our lives in the way that these people did here. What does that mean? Well, they did it daily. We should not just be opening our homes to each other, but in a city like this, we also need to make the effort to go to other people as well. And then notice what they actually do when they get to the people's homes. Do you see that? They don't just go to each other's houses in the first century here. Look what they do. Do you see it? They broke bread in each other's homes. They were breaking bread. Now, again, here we go. Here, think big picture again, okay? Think about where we are. What have we got here? This is Acts. And it's Acts, right at the beginning Acts, is Acts chapter 2. So where are we? We are at the beginning of the second part of that two-part work. So that means that Luke has just finished his first part, doesn't it? It means he's just finished his gospel. Can you remember how he finishes it? Do you remember what happens in the last chapter of Luke? 
in Luke chapter 24? The road to Emmaus? And what happens there? Where is it that the the disciples recognize Jesus? What is he doing? He is breaking bread, friends. What we've got here, just a couple of chapters on, is Luke emphasizing that this congregation wasn't just getting together for a good laugh. It wasn't just getting together to to socialize or to see each other. This was a congregation that was doing what? It was breaking bread. This was a congregation getting together because Jesus Christ was amongst them. And they knew that. And I would encourage you this morning as a congregation, not necessarily to get together and to have communion with each other. That's not really what I'm calling for. But I would encourage you that when we meet, that our Lord is on the agenda. That when we meet in each other's homes, that we're reading, we're picking up scripture, we're reading to each other. That when we meet in each other's homes, that, that, that what we're talking about is Christ. That when we're meeting together, that we are praying often together. Because you see, this church here, yeah, it's wonderful. Yes, it's unity. Yes, all believers were together. But it was unity based on the identity and based on the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see the habits. But why do we see the harmony of this church? Okay, last one is the heart of the church. Now, every parent is going to say the same thing. Okay? They're going to say that it is a great thing when your child obeys you and when the child does what it's told. But they will also say that it is a much greater thing when a child obeys you and does that without the scowl on her face without the huffy look. Well, what we've, we've seen so far in Acts chapter 2, what we thought about really the actions of the church, just as we close, let's consider how they go about doing these things. What manner do they conduct themselves in? Okay, and what we see is that, yeah, um, we see there's joy. Do you see that there's joy and sincerity of the words that are used? In verse 46, it says that they were glad. Okay? That they were rejoicing as a congregation as they took part in Christian life. Rejoicing. But it's the other aspect that I want us to think about in closing. Okay? Do you see that? It's in verse 47. This was a congregation that was joyful, yes. But it was a congregation that was also praising God. It praised God. And you see, at the core of that word, it's actually quite an unusual usage of the word. At the core of that word here is this idea of thankfulness, of appreciation. So these people, this congregation, as they took part in the life of the church, as they did these things, these four things that we've looked at, they went about doing that in thankfulness. Thankfulness to God. They praised Jesus Christ. 
that he had died for them. They thanked God that their very sin had been imputed to Jesus Christ. And that his righteousness had been imputed to them. They were amazed by this. Amazed by their salvation. This was a congregation given not to half-hearted full solemnity. This was a congregation given to wholehearted, genuine thanksgiving. And folks, if we, in here, engage in this stuff, if we engage in these habits, in that harmony, with that heart, do you realize what's going to happen in this place? Do you realize what's going to occur? Well, I ask you, do you see what happens here in Acts chapter 2? What's the result? Do you see it? I'll tell you. The church grew. The church grew. You see, this first New Testament congregation wasn't a sort of insular affair, was it? It was a, it was a, a community that had an impact on its city. They did this praising of God. They did it in joy and they did it in sincerity. And guess what happened? Jerusalem took note or told that they won the favor of all of the people here. And how did that come about? How is it possible that this group of, of believers had an impact on a city like Jerusalem? Well, it's through God. It was the saving work of God. He saw how they behaved. He saw their praise. He heard their praise. He saw how they conducted themselves. And he honored that. He blessed that. Look what we're told. It says that the Lord added. The Lord added to their number daily. Those who were being saved. So friends, here it is. On the line. I beseech you this morning that you don't take this sermon and bin it. I beseech you that you do not just pass over this text and just move on quickly to something else. I beseech you that you ask yourself some very serious questions. That we as a church ask ourselves some serious questions. We need to ask ourselves, do we do this? How do we relate to each other. How do we do that? In humility? and care? What about with the outside world? How do we relate to them? Is it with an outward looking sort of love? Urgency? Most importantly, surely, how do we relate to God? Is it with this joy? Is it with this thankful praise? If not, we've got to change. All of us. Because this is here what we must be striving for. This is what it's all about. This, if anything, should be the foundation for a mission statement for London City Presbyterian Church. Because guess what? We've been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. We are saved. And we have much to be thankful for. So let's follow this wonderful, this glorious pattern for church life and to God to God be all the glory let's pray